1: In this show I'm back with my co-host Sandy England, who facilitates our wives' ministry here at Blazing Grace. And a part of what we're gonna be doing, a lot of what we'll be doing this show is getting into what setting captives free looks like for the sexually broken and the spouse. And so Sandy, welcome back.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: So we're flipping the script this show and if you weren't with us last week you can listen online and what we're doing is Sandy who leads the wives groups is um, hosting basically and asking me questions and so this is England it's all yours Mm
2: -hmm. well again I'd like to kind of touch base where we ended up Um, a lot of times when in the groups we're trying to understand what our husbands are going through Um, we want them we're excited, they're connecting with us, they're repentant, we want to go, but then the lust pull. And I know we talk about in groups sometimes that we don't understand the battle that the husband is going through. And I don't think a lot of times, as you said in the last show, they could articulate the battle. So I guess we're asking you to kind of help speak to the wives on the true battle the men's are going through. The men are going through to break free of lust and sexual sin. That how powerful it is.
1: Mm. Well, for me, I got hooked as a teen and um, discovered pornography and masturbation at the same time, and uh, I didn't have a lot of or any <laughs> connection growing up with my. Parents and what I had, especially from one family member, there was abuse and being molested. So I was really fouled up. And so when I discovered pornography and the pictures of naked women with smiles on their face, with that look like, you know, here it is, come get me, that was very intense and very, very addicting right off the bat because there is no there is no perception that this person's going to hurt me there's no perception that this person this picture this image is going to do anything wrong and then i buy into the lie immediately that hey i can do this cuz i'm alone i'm not hurting anyone what you know what difference does it make and i mean you got to realize this is teenagers and 8 and 9 and 10 year olds getting cooked they do not know how to process this stuff even if they've been at church they don't know how to process this stuff and the worst thing I want to do is get caught you know as a teen so I I remember I would I was backing out and binging multiple times a day um, all the time and stack of magazines as a teen and and then and then it grew and to sex with prostitutes and promiscuity and the whole bit and all that but all that does is it is it adds to the foothold that 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 lust has in the person engaging in that. So there's the chemical response to where the dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter in the brain that gets fired when pleasure happens, that gets them out of balance. And guys literally become depressed and anxious Mm -hmm. when they've been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years. There's guys that end up on medication, uh, there's got one of the first thing that happens when a man starts coming off of pornography is anger because what happens is porn is they cover up their heart they 're hardening their heart and they 're covering it up with lust and one of the first emotions that starts leaking out is anger because when you 've been suppressing your heart for five or not five, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It's like, uh, you know, all of this comes out and the poor woman who's married to this guy is like, why is he lashing out on me? Well, this is this is the consequences of having killed your heart for the last decades. And this is what people don't understand is that this is not just looking at pictures, it's destroying your character. And then it tra- it's from the very beginning, it trains the man to lie. He's that ingrained into his character. It's not that he doesn't want to tell the truth. But you got to think of an 8-year-old boy masturbating to pornography in the dark. That 8-year-old boy one day is a 38-year-old man. He's been training himself to hide all of his life and deceive and to lie. So now he gets caught. And one of the most critical things for any marriage is he must stop lying. But now he's got this stronghold of deceit in him. For some guys, it's, it's a breath of fresh, fresh, breath of fresh air they got caught For others, breaking free from the lying is even harder than it is from the pornography. I know of one guy, um, he just could not stop lying. It was habitual. And this stuff just gets embedded into their guts. And that's why it's so critical that in the very beginning, they have to be on the phone with another man being honest and transparent really once a day for the first 60 to 90 days to root that out. And this is why, guys, you cannot screw around with this stuff and, Well, I'll go to a counselor once a month, and you're not going to get anywhere with that. You cannot play games with that. You have to go all the way in. And then going back to the guy who's depressed, the guy who's empty, the hard heart, the enemy is just not kind of sitting back. I mean, he's doing whatever he can to steal, kill, and destroy. So I remember all the time, the shame from acting out was debilitating, but then these thoughts would flow through my mind. I must not tell anyone what I've done. I must not ever get caught. I cannot reveal who I am, especially to church people, because then people are going to see me as a pervert, a Christian pervert, no doubt, <laughs> no less. What all those are are vows, and they don't even understand they made them. Mm-hmm. That have gotten into the roots of their soul, and until you get into those vows, they can be trapped for a long time, so this is never this is never a simple thing like why can 't you quit acting up because they 're in bondage not just to lust but to to shame and to guilt, and their heart is turned into a rock, and then there 's those the lies that they 've been assimilating, internalizing all those years. And this guy who had no connection with dad growing up and maybe whatever he had with mom, all of a sudden has to grow up and be a father and a husband, how's that going to play out? And what what happens when he goes to church? What's he going to hear? You know, Bible studies, which we need, Scripture, which we need. But, you know, when a church occasionally hits on sex, what do they usually do? Well, sin, don't do it. How is that going to help a guy who's at that level of bondage? And it doesn't matter whether they're binging one day day a month or once a month or whatever it is. Not one day a month. Every day or once a month or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All of that is there, and the spiritual battle is intense, and half the time they don't even realize it. They just think that's all their thoughts. So they have to be equipped to understand these are not your thoughts, brother. The enemy is throwing this in, and you're cooperating with it. So you can't when you're helping people, you can't just say quit doing it because the Bible says you have to equip them and help them realize they're in for a complete character overhaul. We train them how to be on how to be spiritual warriors and how to understand that who they are and, and identity in Christ. And I don't care what scripture a guy can quote. I really don't give a rip what they know. I want to d- delve into what do you really believe at, about yourself. And usually, when you get into that. There is a lot of fear of rejection. There is shame, tons of self-doubt and fear. And they see themselves as a Christian sex addict or a pervert like I did without and without hope.
2: Mm.
1: So that's kind of a few pieces of it.
2: That's very powerful. So that, wow. And I could see that. I mean, the wives somewhat have a battle of their own with doubt and fear and that kind of stuff. A lot of times the wives, and this goes, I think, very much in line with what you're saying, their husbands are Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Very angry, what you described, their torment that they're going through. But yet there's a side that's loving, they're weeping, they don't want to lose their wife, they don't want to lose their family. That battle seems very real to us. Um, Can you maybe touch on that a little bit? You know, I know the guilt and shame, the eternal battle is pretty much for your life. But what's the other side when you're loving and you want to be that husband and that father?
1: I can remember in the early years having quiet time with the Lord and then walking out the door. And as soon as Michelle would say something, I'd snap at her. And then wondering, what the heck just went on there? I had this great time with God, and I walked straight out of the room. And I'm attacking my wife. This doesn't add up. And I didn't understand it at the time. But this, unfortunately, is the consequences of what you, what happens when you've been pouring acid on your heart. I mean, for me, it was two decades. <laughs> for some men, they don't start getting help until they're in their 50s and 60s. So the Jekyll and Hyde um, kind one moment and then angry the next or even depressed and crashing the next is a part of their battle just as it is for the wife when one moment she because she's been traumatized. One moment she's ready to ball her eyes out. The next moment she wants to like, you know, <laughs> take a baseball bat and <laughs> cave his head in. <laughs> Both have been traumatized just in different ways. So people don't look at a man as being traumatized, but he's traumatized himself.
2: Mm.
1: And people who have been traumatized, um, one moment they can be stable, and the next moment they can be flipped out. And a critical piece for the man is you got to look in your heart. You can't just sit there at the shallow end of this and think, you know what, I'm just going to pray or go to a group, but not really deep into the pain in my heart. You're not going to grow, and you're going to stay stuck. So you got to get into all of what's going on, the wounds that are there, the distorted core beliefs, um, and really that's how you're going to heal.
2: I agree with that. I, you know, in Dusty's situation, and you just explained it, I do believe the times that he was loving and sorrowful, that those were real, very real. He really wanted to work on our marriage. But I also think the other side was just as powerful so he was in a constant battle, like you just said. I know in Wife's Heart, we sometimes talk about how we have to surrender. And a lot of people correlate that with give up. And I think it's actually quite the opposite. We are fighting like crazy when we surrender our husbands to the cross because they're in a a fight for their life. And the only one that can help them fight is Lord Jesus. So mm-hmm. you explaining that... I hope will reach a lot of ladies' hearts that this isn't about them loving us or not loving us. This is about them fighting for their lives. And we, in our own healing, need to lean into Christ and let him fight this. So thank you, Mike, for sharing. It kind of got me emotional. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that because I think it will help a lot of the ladies understand the severe battle their husbands are going through and the men.
1: Well, I would just add what you said about surrendering. Surrendering is not sitting back in a corner. What surrendering really is, is, God, I'm not going to do this my way. I'm going to do this your way and in your strength. Mm -hmm. So it's just just saying, I'm sick of doing this my way, God. Show me how you want me to do this.
2: And I can honestly say from the wife's perspective, um, that's a battle in itself. You know, we... Surrendering means we're giving it <laughs> to the one that can fight the best for it, not us. But it also feels like a lot of forgiving up. You know, we're giving up and that kind of stuff. And it's like we're not. We are actually fighting the best we can with other sisters and everybody praying for them. Um, so the ladies, I don't. I think as they grow through group and they start building bonds with other sisters. The strength that they get, even though they're quieter and speak and love, and what you say earlier, uh, 100 words are more, or 10 kind words are more powerful than the sledgehammer, mm-hmm. is so powerful when we're speaking and addressing these things <clears throat> first in Christ. It is incredibly powerful. And the husbands, there's been many cases, the wa- husbands will say to the wife, I see God moving in you. And the wife's like, yes, because I'm going to him, and he's growing me. The wives want to say, I see God moving in you, and sometimes we don't. And I think it's because the battles are different, but kind of the same. Mm. So,
1: Well, um, on the note about 10 kind words, I remember years ago, Michelle and I, when we lived in Colorado, we were arguing about something, I don't remember what, and and then I'm in the kitchen and I look up and she had walked outside the house and she's knocking snow off of my car. I had not asked her to or anything like that. I'm almost ready to get emotional right now so I'm going to stop this. But (laughs) but it just tore me up because what a wife doesn't always realize is pure love has a lot of convicting power. Mm -hmm. And... There's some men their heart is so hard they just can't they can't receive it. But uh when we do things in in, you know, God's spirit in his way, you just don't know how he's gonna use it. And she didn't say one word to me and when she came back back in the house, you know, I was head down a little bit, you know, you know, I mean we made up, but um sometimes the worst thing we can do is speak. Mm-hmm. Sometimes listening is more powerful. Sometimes just giving a hug can make a huge difference. You know, sometimes a husband coming home and just walking up to his wife and not saying a word and just giving her a hug can be more powerful than than anything. So sometimes we get into this. We got to, You know, I don't want people to get into this. We're going to get a shovel and dig everything out because sometimes it's the simple things that make the biggest difference.
2: Mm. I agree. That's beautiful, and I I know you shared that story with me before, and I cried too that Michelle did that. Um, I think the biggest thing in all of this throughout the groups and stuff like this, and we talk about it a lot in the Wife's Heart groups, is grace, sometimes just grace for what the husband's going through, grace for what we're going through. God's grace is tremendous, but sometimes we beat ourselves up when we don't do it quite right. So sometimes I tell the ladies, it's okay, you're still picking yourself up. That trigger won't hurt you as bad next time or whatever. So I think the husbands, do they struggle with having grace for themselves too when they mess up, that they keep trying?
1: Well, a lot of them don't even know that grace is in the room. Amen. <laughs> let alone receive it. So when you've been brought up and you've, you know, dad never told you that you know what you've got what it takes you know you're a warrior you're a man and um you grew up questioning yourself all your life who am i mm-hmm. um and then we go to church as well we're supposed to be really nice people and memorize our verses and make me puke will you because you know if you look at a lot of jesus's missions isaiah 61 setting captives free that's war Every man is meant to be a warrior, and as, and as is every woman, but um, when you've bought into the lie all your life that I'm a piece of garbage, that I'm a sex addict, that I'm a pervert, and if you hear a lot if all you hear from your spouse is, "Why didn't you do this?" And this is both sides, why didn't you do that? Why can't you do this?" All it does is add weight to the fact that I'm a loser. <laughs> Mm. so sometimes kind words can make you know a huge difference like hey i believe in you Um, for me that's a big one Um, um, i know love and respect is supposed to be the big thing for men and women but um, for me personally i believe in you uh, means a lot more and for every guy some guys just need the words some guys you know need something you know different quality time or whatever it is love languages
0: Mhm.
2: I think you just touched on something that I think about um in the groups and stuff some of the bonds that are built within the groups um are so strong and it's because of love. Do you know what I mean? Love and understanding for the other persons. They um now if we could translate or transfer as we heal onto loving and supporting our husbands um, no matter what. Um, but we then we get into the whole boundaries thing and what we can tolerate and not tolerate. And, but, but love is very, very powerful. The women um, in the groups build strong relationships and they reach out to each other when they stumble, just like I think the men maybe do. <laughs>
1: I'm not in the men's group. So. so what does stumbling for a wife mean?
2: Getting angry, not connecting before they voice a concern or, you know, that kind of stuff. Falling into, we talk about a lot of times in groups, you know, my husband is doing this or he's doing that or, and I'm like, who are you listening to? Because the enemy wants them to go right back to doubt and fear and that kind of stuff. So that's stumbling to us as we start listening to the wrong voices Instead of asking God to show us truth, we start believing, oh, he did this over the weekend. Oh, he got that look on his face. He didn't answer his phone for two hours. Whatever the case may be, there's several. Um, To us, stumbling is starting to fall into the doubt and the fear and that kind of thing. So we have to pray and reach out to others to say, who are you listening to? Did you take that to God? Is he showing you that's a concern? So. That's what I think stumbling is for the wives mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, i don't I don't know. It's just building um, I, I guess maybe stumbling for the wives is like the men. We have to reach out to other people to realize that it's okay to stumble, but we don't want to stay there. Um, I do notice a lot of ladies who go through groups. They may have stumbled several times, but eventually they become very strong. And even when they set their boundaries, they are kinder, mm-hmm. but definitely don't cross them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they say it with their heart I'm the daughter of the king. Don't do this to me. It's unacceptable. You know? And instead of you do this or else, it's like, no, that's unacceptable because of who I am. And that's, you can tell they have less stumbles and they become stronger in who they are in that belief. Does that make sense? Mm
1: -hmm. I know, and we're in tune with that. prayer is critical. And I know people struggle with, you know, how to develop a prayer life. Can you talk about your own prayer life and what that looks like?
2: Mm. Well, you just reversed this, didn't you? (laughs) My prayer life. You know, I wasn't um, raised in a church, so I didn't know that I had to go up to the altar and do my little whatevers. Um, So I didn't have that. My prayer life, um, even when I was younger, before I realized what I was doing, was I was talking to Jesus. I just talked to him. Um, I talked to him all the time. And I think our prayer life, and we talk about it in group, is it's critical. You know, it's, as you said, not a big old long flowy scripture. It's like, hey, God, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know what to do. And, you know, just given that peace. when I something would come up with Dusty, I'd immediately want to rip his head off. Uh, I know this. Shh. Anyway, I'd immediately want to rip his head off. So instead, I would go talk to God, and that's my prayer. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to him, and then I could calm down and then come out and handle the situation separately. Prayer life, and Dusty and I have both grown to where we pray all the time. We don't sop and say, okay, you know, that kind of stuff, but we talk, and we talk to other people. And when we're talking, we're like, let's pray, and it's just talking. God hears us, I believe, so— but I think our prayer life, it's critical for mm. Dusty and I and our walk. We've been definitely growing in that, just in trusting God every day, <laughs> some of the most bizarre things. So that's our prayer life.
1: Well, I know, too, that you, when you pray, you pray from the heart, and I think that's that's a huge piece.
2: Yeah, that's talking to God. <laughs> that's so.
1: The fervent prayers it talks about in Scripture aren't happening when somebody's preaching a sermon while they're praying Mm -hmm. so I want to thank you for joining us I really want to say in closing that this is a very the porn addiction of the church is impacting a lot of people and a lot of people's lives are being destroyed by this and we cannot ignore this so hope to see you again next week and let's keep going
0: do you want to be free